Hello, and welcome to the Determined People podcast, where we have real people share their relatable stories and, and share their experience, strength, and hope in an open and transparent way. After hearing their story, you might say, if they did it, so can I. It's designed to provide you, the listener, encouragement. Our guest today is a young woman with a story of secrets, suspense, betrayal, and redemption. I mean, Hollywood could not script a better story. I've been really looking forward to this one. Zeddie Carnell is a professional chef, professional musician, and an ordained pastor. She comes from a long line of pastoral women, including her mom, who has had a huge impact on her life. Now, things are a little different today, but it takes a lot of grit to be a woman working in the male-dominated world of Christianity. Adding to the challenge, as a young woman working in a church after graduating from seminary, Zeddy revealed to her pastor that she was gay. Zeddy had been living with another woman for seven years at this time, and she hadn't even told her mom. Talk about, we call that baptism by fire. Well, we're going to hear how Zeddy's life went from being supported and complete, feeling completely loved to a 180. So let's hear her story in her own words. Welcome, Zeddy. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you, John? I'm doing well. I've really been looking forward to this. I think your story is so powerful uh, on, on a lot of levels. Um, and so let's get right into it. Sure. Tell us a little bit about your, you know, your early life, your family life growing up. Well, my early life um, started in Shreveport, Louisiana, um, northern Louisiana, and um, I grew up in a minister's home. So um, my mother is a, a music minister. She was an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God. My grandparents, great-grandparents, their parents were all in ministry, have cousins, aunts, and uncles that have been missionaries and participated in ministry my whole life. And so the um, household that I was raised in was very loving, very godly. Um, I couldn't have asked for, you know, uh, a better home to be raised in, um, full of love and full of music and the arts. Every preacher's kid I've ever known spent practically every night of the week at church. Was that your experience too? Pretty much, um, and it wasn't such a bad thing because I learned how to be really creative. I would play on the drums, I'd play on the piano. Um, you know, if my mom was in meetings or in choir rehearsal, you know, we would be running around the church and, you know, um, just being kids, you know. So it was always a, a safe place, um, you know, running up to, you know, the store down the street from the church. I mean, so it was, it was always very full, but I would definitely say, yes, uh, the majority of my time was spent at church, Wednesdays, Saturdays, Sundays, even sometimes Mondays and Tuesdays. It really <laughs> was just depending on what was going on. Sure. So h- how old were you when you took up the guitar? Well, my grandfather purchased my first guitar for me at the age of seven and um, started teaching me. Um, chords here and there, and it, it was really hard, and it hurt my fingers. Um, I really wanted to play drums. I mean, I was just drawn to them, and so that was really my first instrument was was getting on the drums. I had a few lessons. My parents didn't have a lot of money, so I probably had two or three lessons, and the rest I had to learn on my own. Then when I turned about 12 years old, I really started developing more on the guitar, and um, my grandfather was a, a musician and a singer on the Louisiana Hayride. He was a great musician. He played several different instruments. And so um, 
you know, I, I, I'm so happy that I've been able to carry that legacy on and, and that he had patience with me. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's in your genes. And that learning curve on the guitar is so steep. you really got to love it and to, to stick with it. So as I recall in, in, our, in our prep interview for this, um, not only did you spend a lot of time at church, but that's where you went to camp also. Tell us about going to church camp and, and what happened to you there. Yeah, every summer we had, um, it was out in Alexandria, Louisiana, and those people who grew up in Louisiana with me know, um, we went to uh, kids camp and youth camp down at Woodworth, and um, it was just an amazing experience where everyone from our district all over Louisiana would would congregate and come together, and um, that's really where I first started feeling the call of God on my life. I was probably around eight or nine years old, and um, those experiences um, at that camp really began to um, shape and form my life and what I felt called to do. And so that's really the the first time I I felt impressed uh, for full-time ministry. And it stuck with you because you you had shared with me that, that the Spirit really does speak to you uh, and some people are just more engaged with that. Would, is that, is that how, let's talk about how you get impressions from the Spirit. Yeah, well, I feel like it's different for everyone. You know, my relationship with God compared to someone else. Um, I, I always knew that I was different. I always knew that I kind of swam upstream. And um, even my birth date, I can recall my mom telling me that my grandmother looked at my mom and said, you know, this baby's special. She's born on all God's numbers, 3377. Mm. And I was actually supposed to be uh, born with birth defects because my mom and I had uh, shared different blood. And she didn't have the RH shot, didn't know about it. And so um, when I was born, they were definitely expecting, um, you know, disfigured uh, child and I was a miracle baby, so that alone made me know that that I was special. And um, throughout my life, I have been very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, very sensitive to God. And um, you know, when He spoke to me at a very young age, it was a knowing in my soul. I saw pictures. It's not like I heard an audible voice, but it was just a very strong impression on my mind and on my spirit that he was setting me apart to do something significant for him. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you continued on and and went to seminary. Tell us about that. I did. I went um, to Christ for the Nations here in Dallas, Texas, and I studied theology and music. And I went to a private Christian school um, and then went straight into Bible college. Um, I, I had always felt like at you know, had a call and participated in high school and in several different singing competitions and speaking and would preach and was very active involved in church. And then um, upon graduation, you know, I, I went to a, a lock-in at a church and just kind of prayed through the night. It was, it was one of those things where everybody kind of got together and prayed about uh, the new year. And I woke up the next morning and told my mom, I said, you know, I, I feel like um, I'm supposed to go to Christ for the Nations. And what was interesting is she was in the kitchen washing dishes, and she looked at me and she goes, it's it's funny that you're saying that because I felt the Lord tell me the same thing, so you just confirmed it. 
So, um, yeah, I went to Bible college and really began to come into my own musically and um, I guess you could say uh, with theology and hermeneutically and homiletics and, and all of those things. But I've always, always, always had such a deep desire for understanding and knowledge. I've been studying the Word of God since I was seven years old at my grandmother's kitchen table. Just the things that were deeper always called to me and interest me, and I always wanted to see the underlining I always wanted to know the truth, and the best way to find the truth is to seek it out for yourself. And so that started that journey, and it just continues on to this day. You learned a lot from your grandma. I think she she shared your love for cooking, right? She did. Uh, my grandmother, Zetty, actually, she was an amazing cook. She was known around town as the dumpling lady. She made the best chicken and dumplings you'll ever put in your mouth. And people, anyone that got sick in church or you know, they would get dumplings or, you know, we would celebrate with dumplings. I mean, it was just an art for her. And um, my grandmother was really the catalyst for so many things in my life, not just cooking, but my love for the Word of God. She was a mentor, a teacher, a theologian. She wrote commentaries. She taught Sunday school. She could preach. She could lead a song service. And um, just having a strong matriarch in the family and, you know, I kind of idolized my grandmother. I thought, you know, she was just the biggest blessing to have. And um, I I miss her dearly. She passed away in 2015. But uh, she profoundly impacted my life. Well, sounds like, and it's it's evidence through you. But now the most important question I have for you this morning is this. Do you have her chicken and dumplings recipe? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I yes, love I do. <laughs> well, I'll have to get you some. You're awesome. You're awesome. So uh, you had shared with me that, that when you were at Christ for the Nations, uh, I believe it was, was that you talked to a guidance ca- counselor about you having feelings for women and you wanted to talk it out with someone with a trusted supervisor, right? I did, actually. Um, it took a lot of strength. Well, they they have this thing every year called the deliverance ministry and they bring in these special gifts and they start dealing with a lot of the trauma and the hurt and things, you know, that go along. And that began to really open up the floodgates for me and get me thinking. And I had always had a same sex attraction. Um, I never gave into it and I was always scared to talk about it. I stayed away from dating just because I was so unsure of myself, and I was actually a really shy person mm-hmm. and um, didn't ever really want to get personal to tell people my my issues. And so I, I took the risk, and I went to a guidance counselor in Bible college and asked, you know, I, I said, hey, I'm having some feelings and some thoughts. I've never acted on it. I don't know what it means, and I'm trying to understand myself, and I could really use the help. What they did is they threw me up against the wall and tried to cast demons out of me. And in in that whole process, they asked me to leave school for a semester. And I felt so ashamed, and I felt so humiliated. Like, I just was vulnerable and so transparent with someone because I needed help. And instead of getting help, I got hurt, and I learned, you don't tell anyone anything. And so that carried with me and that stayed with me for years. Uh-huh. And, it, and it caused a, a great deal of fear and shame. Did you ever consider leaving the seminary or leaving the church after that experience? 
Well, I did leave Bible college for a semester. I went home um, and worked and just really tried to regroup and figure out what I wanted to do in life. My parents were actually going through a divorce at the time, so the timing was 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 good so that I could be home and be there with my mom and transition everything. But um, I never thought of leaving the church or, or my relationship with the Lord ever. I actually went back to seminary after that semester because I wanted to prove to people, you know, I'm, I'm a finisher. What I start, I finish. And I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what the rumor is. You know, I'm here. I started something, and I'm going to finish it. And so I did. I went back, and I finished and graduated. I love that attitude. So what did you tell your mom and dad the reason that you were taking a semester off? Because you hadn't shared with them that you had any feelings for same sex. No. um, I... (laughs) I, I I told my mom that you know I was having issues with a with a girl in college, and um, I told her about the deliverance ministry and what had happened, and they asked me to leave, and so she she understood it. She was I think frustrated and a little scared, and um, we didn't talk about it much. I mean, it was just kind of like she kind of brushed over it. But I think a lot of that had to do with where she was in her life at the time, still trying to get a handle on her ministry, going, managing a, a divorce, finances. And, I mean, it was everything all at once. Sure. must have been a lot for her to handle, and she couldn't be completely present for you, even though you're her child. She was still a lot to, right. to, to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, that that the um, the overnight thing, the the the, the, the meeting you went to, which was designed to help resolve and heal trauma, caused you trauma. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it just goes to show what religion does to people. You're right. You know, that is religion. It's, It's all about the rules. It's all about the do's and the don'ts and the rights and the wrongs. But when you actually have a relationship with Jesus, it's not about the rules. It's about that relationship and that connection and honoring that, protecting that, and trusting that. That's right. Relationship versus religion. Religion you know, keeps a lot of people out of church because they yeah. don't want to be lectured or felt, feel guilt or shame or whatever. Some of the things, the feelings you described just a few minutes ago. Right. So after graduation, um, did you start working in ministry then? No, actually, I had a really hard time. A lot of the um, friends that I went to to uh, seminary with, they um, they were all getting jobs because they were, you know, young married couples or engaged. A lot of these churches, they wanted, you know, young couples. And here I am as a single female, and I didn't feel like there was a place for me. And I felt, man, have I missed it, God? Am I Am I just totally, you know outside of your will, like, what did, you know, did I miss the mark here? Because I was really trying to honor what I felt God had called me to, but I really believe it was more of a timing thing. And so right out of Bible college, I actually left and became a flight attendant and worked for American Airlines, moved to Washington, D.C., and lived there for a year and a half. And um, that provided me the opportunity to um to grow up some and to to sing in places and uh, write and meet people. And I I really felt like that time in my life I really matured. I really kind of came out of my shell 
gained a lot of confidence in myself because I'd never really been away from my family or really been away from home. I mean, sure, we had moved away, but I always had the security and the anchor of my family. And now at 22 years old, I didn't have that, Uh you know. So what I learned in theory in Bible college became reality in real life where God really had to be my anchor and hold me down. And did you feel his presence all the way through this? You know, I did. There were so many times uh, as a flight attendant that it was just God-ordained. I was telling a friend about two or three weeks ago that as a flight attendant, I, I remember, and this is just a, a real brief story, um, I I had to fly on Easter, and I was upset about it because I wanted to go home. It was my first Easter away from my family, and I'm a family girl, and I love traditions, and um, I was just so upset that I went, and I went with a really bad negative attitude, and just so happened that on this flight, I actually had a check ride from a, a senior flight attendant who is actually one of the people who trained me in flight academy. And what they do is they kind of watch what you do and make sure you're doing it right. And, you know, they grade you on that. So it's very nerve-wracking when you're, you know, on probation as a flight attendant. Uh, the job in and of itself is nerve-wracking because of the responsibility. But on this particular flight, there was a girl that was being transferred from a foster home into uh, a home uh, with a family, and she had been split up with her uh, her brother. And, and so she was sitting uh, close to the back row of the plane, and behind them was two armed air marshals and a prisoner. And they had put him on the flight in chains before everyone got on there, and I could tell from the passenger manifest list, you know, what that was all about. And so here's this young girl and her, uh, I guess you could say her uh, accompanier with with her and then the prisoner and, and these two guards behind them. And, and so the lady kept asking me questions, you know, would you mind taking her on a tour and giving her some of those plastic wings? You know, she's nervous. She's never flown, and she's thinking she might want to be a flight attendant. I mean, so all throughout the beginning of the flight, you know, they're communicating with me. And so once I finished the beverage service and everything, I, I came back to the aft galley and I'm putting my stuff away and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to me and was like, you know, you need, you need to speak life into this girl. And I was like, well, I don't feel like I can speak life. I don't even like where I'm at right now in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I going to say? How am I going to make a difference? And, you know, I went over to her. I, I'd already kind of showed her around the plane and, you know, talked to her um the 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 lady that was uh, accompanying her and i guess she was a director or something i don't remember her title but i'm um, just really kind of learning this young girl's story and i kind of saw myself in this young girl lost displaced um feeling like she doesn't belong and i bent down and i looked into her eyes i took my my wings off that i earned they were silver wings And I put those wings on that little girl, and I told her, I said, I want you to know that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And if you trust in him and you believe in him, he will take you anywhere. I said, just like these wings that I earned are a key to unlock doors for me, I get to travel everywhere. I said, God can do that for you. I said, so don't ever let anybody tell you you're not special, you're not important, and that he doesn't love you. I said, because he he made it so that we could meet today so that I could tell you that he loves you. And wow. and I looked at her, the lady's crying, but what was more impactful is the guy that was the prisoner sitting behind this young girl was in tears. Wow. So it ministered to him. And then I see this finger come out of this uh, 
the ass curtain out of the galley, like motioning me to come here. And it was the lady giving me the check ride. And she said, I don't want you to say anything. She goes, just stop right now what you're doing. And I thought I was in trouble. I was like, oh, crap, this is not good. And she takes her gold wings off and gives them to me and said, I've never seen anything or heard anything like that. You're okay by me. Wow, that is, a, that is an awesome story. I know. <laughs> so, yes, I felt God as a flight attendant. Yes, I was able to preach with my life. It wasn't a pulpit, but it's what he gave me. And yeah. we can have church anywhere, in a car, in a bus, in a plane. If we're open, God can use us anywhere at any time. It's funny you say that because I say the same thing all the time. You know, church is two people, you know, sitting having coffee. Church is a family is. riding bikes together. I mean, this it's not Community. just – the big beautiful building it's everywhere yeah you know and jesus said go we're supposed to go and it doesn't mean go just sit in a pew somewhere but uh so let's move on that is a beautiful story by the way and i assure you that that young lady how old was she do you think i think she was probably 10 or 11 young and impressionable but i guarantee you she she still remembers that and i bet she still has the wings as well i hope so that was definitely the spirit speaking through you. Yes. So you ended up you, you did end up working at a church in the Dallas area. Tell me, I did. Tell me about, I worked for about two. that. Hmm? I, I worked for two. I worked for one out in uh Forney close to Mesquite called uh Faith Crossing Church. And then I worked for another one in the mid cities called New Life Covenant Church. Um so yeah, I was um worship pastor and also a, a youth pastor and a worship pastor in one church. Wow. So tell us about that experience. And you you uh, did a counseling session with the pastor and his wife, as I recall. Let's kind of walk into, into that story. Sure. So I had probably worked for this church about a year, leading worship. The church was growing. We were having three services, getting ready to move into our new building. I was probably the most happy I had ever been in my life. Just bought a brand-new car, had a brand-new house, had the girl of my dreams on the down low. But getting up and leading worship and having to lead people in the presence of God and not live an authentic life really began to convict me. And um, I was so scared, and I was so scared that people were going to find out. And um, I made the decision that we would go in and tell the pastor and his wife that, you know, we had been in a seven-year lesbian relationship. And it was one of the hardest, most fearful, scariest things I've ever done. But I just couldn't deal with the the guilt any longer. And so we made the decision to go in on a Tuesday and sit down and tell the pastor and his wife. I can still recall the glass uh, front door of the church and the sun beaming through and walking in there and smelling the coffee and them saying, hey, girl, and walking into that side room on the left-hand side and and hearing my pastor say, so what did you call the meeting for? What's up? You know, and um, I'm not one to beat around the bush. I'm very direct. And I said, listen, my heart is broken. I'm so scared. I mean, I just was bawling. I couldn't even hold it together. And I said, uh, you know, she and I have been in a lesbian relationship for the last seven years. We've been hiding it from people. I can't do this anymore. I'm sorry. And they just looked up at me and were like, they look sucker punched, you know, <laughs> like what? And the pastor looked at me with tears in his eyes and so much love in his face. And he said, how can we help you? We will go down fighting for you. We'll do whatever it takes. 
what do you want? Why did you come here to tell us this? Do you, do you need our help? And he said, would you like to get a counselor outside the church so we can talk through this and, and, and try to find you the help that you need, which I, which I knew he was saying, you know, we want you to de-gay yourself, you know, because we don't believe that you can be gay and Christian. We believe, you know, it's rebellious and, and sinful. And, and so I thought, you know, I've never really looked at it. I've never, I've never been offered help, so I might as well just take it because maybe I can. Maybe I can fix this. Maybe I can undo it. And if I can undo it, I want to. You know, I tried really hard, so we started seeing a specialist outside of the church. She was one of the best in the world. You know, we saw her, and then every Tuesday we met with the pastor and his wife for accountability. My girlfriend moved out of my bedroom, moved into her bedroom. We got a third roommate. Everything was moving forward. It was hard. It it hurt. I didn't like it. But I embraced that because I thought, I don't want to, you know, if I can be free from this, I want to be. Like the desire is there. In the middle of this process, everything that was taking place, the pastor's wife suddenly dies. And she had just turned 50 years old. It sent a shockwave through our church. Um, Here we are, a a church that's growing to three services. We're getting ready to move into our new building. The music program is growing. You know, the youth is growing. I mean, everything is so healthy and everything is so good. And then wham, everything just went to a standstill. In the middle of this process, um, when the pastor's wife dies, um, I start seeing a change in him, and I start seeing a change in, in my my girlfriend. I, I guess you could say, I, I don't even know if we had broken up. We were still living under the same roof um, tr- and trying to manage and walk through all of that. And um, I, I basically found out that, uh, in the process of all of this, they started dating and seeing one another, and I confronted them about it. They didn't care. They basically said they felt God gave them the green light to be together, even though his wife died a month uh, earlier. And, I mean, it hurt me because I totally felt, like, um, abandoned in my struggle. You said you were going to go down fighting for me, and then the first chance you have to really help me and continue walking me through this and her as well, you bail and you make a full court press towards her. When she's been in a lesbian relationship for seven years, I mean, where in all of that? <laughs> what, what healthy about any of that? Right. And then I felt betrayed and I felt my trust broken because I felt it was unethical for a pastor who had been counseling someone to get out of the lesbian relationship, jump into a relationship with her, and then I have to see it. They come into church on Sunday and sit on the front row, and I'm leading worship, and I have to see this, and I know what's going on, and I can't say anything to anyone in the church. And they were hiding it from everyone. I felt completely betrayed, and I felt abandoned. And um, I was actually, really, really hard. I mean, oh hard doesn't gosh. even scratch the surface, Zeddy. Hard doesn't even, even, even begin to, to describe what you must have felt. I mean, seven years for somebody is a long time. It's a long time. And then you've got, you know, go from responsibility. Yeah. Sure. You go from being completely feeling loved and supported by your, by your boss and his wife. And then Mm -hmm. within a month, complete betrayal by by him and by her. Right. And I looked at my pastor like a spiritual dad. I didn't look at him like a pastor. I, I looked at him. I respected him. I looked at him like, a father figure to me, and then to turn around and see him with a girl 23 years younger than him that I had been with 
for seven years and knew they were nowhere near on the same level. (laughs) (laughs) I lost so much respect and I was hurt and felt betrayed. And I tried to talk to them and they wouldn't listen. They didn't care. They did not care. They were moving forward and they were going to steamroll everyone in their path. And they blew holes in a lot of people. And listen, I know I wasn't perfect. I entered into a lesbian relationship. I started working for a church, and I accepted the responsibility of that, and I tried to make up for that, and I went through the pain, and I walked through all of that stuff, stuff that they weren't willing to walk through. Uh You know, sometimes it's easy to fit a dysfunctional uh, behavior into a more socially acceptable relationship, and I, I was out there on my own. You know, I had no one to turn to but God. And um, I was actually fired over it. He had the, the, his father and a deacon or an elder in the church call me up to the church one Tuesday night. I'll never forget it. Walked in there, and I knew it was going to happen. I just knew, I had already known in my spirit that it was going to happen. And they, fought, they basically fired me over false pretenses, saying that I didn't do my job because the, the dad and the elder actually didn't know about the pastor and my ex's relationship. So I told him. <laughs> told them the truth. <laughs> I guess that meeting didn't go quite the way You should have seen the faces. I mean, the jaws all dropped to the floor, and they they had to stop and said we didn't know anything about this. And I said, yeah, and he knew about it the whole time. And I said, so the real reason why I'm being fired is to cover up the fact that I was in a seven-year relationship with her, and now your son's in a relationship with her, and he doesn't want anyone in the church to find out. And wow. so I was fired. I was thrown away like a piece of trash and uh, completely betrayed. It made my whole life at the age of 32 come unglued and unhinged. I lost everything. And one night, I lost my ministry, you know, my career, all of my friends, my name. I lost my name. I lost my pastor. I lost who my lover, my best friend, um, my home. Everything had changed in one day. One day. Well, you know, I always say that everything that we, we experience in life prepares us for something else. We don't know what that something else is. That's a lot to go through in one 24-hour period. That's more than most people can handle. Yep. How did you handle it? I didn't handle it well. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been more broken or more hurt or more lost or confused. And I can remember wanting to end my life, the pain was so great, and I could not imagine my life outside of the church or without her or doing what I loved. And I remember grabbing a a thirty-two revolver, actually, and I put it in my mouth, and I was in the kitchen, and I was sitting underneath the bar in the kitchen, and I just told the Lord, I said, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I love you, and I hope that you can forgive me for this. And no later did those words come in my out of my mouth, and that gun was in in my mouth, my best friend walks through the door and said, I was going down the road, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me I needed to get over here because you were about to kill yourself. And I knew in that moment that God loved me because he sent her to help me through it. And weeks turned to months, months turned to years, years, and, uh, I finally, throughout all of that, learned to love and accept myself. And it was the the lesson that I walked away is 
don't lie about who you are. Be your true, authentic self. And so, you know, I've given up everything to be who I am as a gay Christian. And I'll never go back in the closet to make somebody feel good about themselves because I know who I am. I expect people that I date to know who they are, too. And it's been really hard because a lot of these girls, they don't want to look at themselves. I make them look at themselves, and they don't want it. They don't want to look at themselves. They don't, <laughs> they're don't. they not willing to pay the price, you know, and, um, and I did. Self-work is hard. It's, it's, yes. Self-work is the hardest thing that you can do because we, because we all have blind spots, and we yep. don't want to look behind that curtain and see what's there. But when you do and you stick to it, you, you talked about being a finisher earlier, when you finish – you, you come out much more healthily, healthy on yes. the other side. Yes. But it sucks when you're going through it. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. You know, when, at, when you told me that story about the gun in your mouth, um, first of all, there's, there's you know, a lot of us that are grateful that you did not pull the trigger and that, that young woman got there. But it still is so remarkable to me to think about that, and I've thought about it often, where that, that your friend heard that got that impression from God saying, go, go, go to Zeddy's. She's about to end her life. And she actually acted on it. Yeah. Because we don't always <laughs> act on those prompts. Right. And that's a difficult one to act on when you really think about it. You have to right. go confront somebody that might be you know, about to, to, to end it all. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that she did listen and did act because um, just confirmation that God does speak to us. He does speak to us, but we have to be open to listening and then taking action. Absolutely. You know, the Bible says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And it's so important, even in times like this, that we not harden our heart. That's that's what that hardens our heart. It's, it's not a big boogeyman thing. It's not something that God, the reason God hates sin is because when our hearts get hardened, we can't hear him and we don't know how to see him and all sin really means is that you've missed the mark and you know I try to strive to be a, an open heart I'm not a rolling stone um, you know and so I'm, I'm so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and um, I always want to have ears to hear and eyes to see always mm-hmm. yeah tell us what's going on in Zeddy's life now you've got some projects going on tell us what's happening <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, 2020 was an interesting year. I thought it was going to be my year, and I was going to, you know, take life by the horns and move forward, and then COVID happened. Um, So in 2020, I actually launched uh, my uh, personal private chef business. It's an outstanding passion that I've always wanted to pursue, and and God has been so faithful in all of that. Um, And then I started writing a book, and um, I'm almost – finished with that and I think that's kind of how I met you right around the time I was um in Austin with you and Ashley and uh-huh. and um at that Rachel Scott event and that's when the idea actually was birthed in in me for this book being around those teenagers and so I'm finishing that I've had um some interest in turning that into a movie and so I'm in talks with that and then I have a radio show that we're going to be picking back up on in the spring uh, we took a, a break during the fall, um, and, you know, different TV appearances. There, there's a possible reality show in the works. 
Um, so I always have little things in entertainment going on. You'll see me in the studio working with younger artists, pitching music, um, still having a publishing deal. So I've always got things moving and, and going on. And so that's kind of carried over into 2021. Um, and so the, the business is growing. I'm getting more clients. I had a TV appearance last week. I'm going to uh, be on a new dating show where I'm a chef. Um, so, I mean, things are, you know, I, I have a lot of opportunity. God always opens up some really interesting doors for me. So um, I think the, the book will be a huge catalyst and, and a platform for me to do some motivational speaking and, and telling my story. Um, so there, there's a lot going on. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait. I can't wait to 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 read your book. Do you have a uh, proposed publishing date in in mind, or is it is it? Where, where um, are you in that process right now? Well, in the process, the the people at NBC Universal basically told me not to get the book published yet. They wanted me to finish the book because I'm a first time author, and that would give me some collateral. But they wanted to look at the book before I got it published to see if they wanted to turn it into you know a possible movie. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what I'm trying to do is just finish that. Um, I, I I definitely think I could get a publishing deal, but I've always seen the the book turning into a movie, and so um, you know I'm really confident that that's going to happen. So um, it's it's just really you know writing and rewriting and making sure it's congruent and being true to the story because it's a coming of age story, and um, it's actually called um, from scratch. And um, it has a lot of cooking elements in it. It's a great story of a young girl. So, <laughs> I love the title. Yeah, I love the title. So, um, the um, if somebody wanted to hire you as a chef or a musician, how do they reach you, Zeddy? There's several different ways um, that you can reach me. I'm on Facebook. Um, it's Zeddy Z E T T I Crocker C R O like Zeddy C Rocker. Um, <laughs> uh, on Facebook, and then then there's my my regular page Zeddy Carnell, and then on Instagram it's Crocker Zeddy. Um, but then you can always email me too at Zeddy Carnell at gmail dot com. That's that is great. You know you got so many cool things going on, and and, and I, I can't wait to see how God uses you because I know He will, and and I just am so excited about that. So if you're if you will still talk to the little people after you know these projects <laughs> get going, I'd love to have you back on again. You're a fascinating, you're a fascinating person. I'm glad we met, and I, I'm really grateful that you would share your story, take your time to do this today. Absolutely. Well, thank you for inviting me and allowing me the platform to share my story. I hope that it blesses someone. I hope that someone in a similar a similar situation can feel encouraged today. You know, um, one of the things I wanted to leave people with was a a scripture verse uh, that I think is so poignant for today, and that's found in Hosea 2.15. And it says, There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days for youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. And I just want to let people know that if you're a valley of weeping, which means the Achor, you know, that God will make a door of hope for you. So don't lose hope. Be encouraged today. Thank you, John. I appreciate this time. That's awesome. Our world needs hope, and you've just shared some. So thank you very much. Listeners, uh, zeddycarnell at gmail.com. 
Chef Chef Zeddy, uh, go find her, and you'll you know if you're like me, you'll watch her videos and gain a pound every time you do. Thank you. <laughs> Holla at me. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye.